With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. We talk about all things Orlando City, Orlando Pride, and OCB, even though they're dormant this season. Uh, but primarily Orlando City. Uh, so uh, welcome to the program. I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com. Joining me, as always, David Rowe up in Tallahassee. Dave, how you doing? Um, I had to get home in my kayak. It's been raining a lot. Um, but uh, uh, I'm home and I'm dry and, and ready to uh, talk about our favorite teams. All right. Well, it is not true what you've heard. Dave and I are not the next two center backs in line to play for (laughs) Orlando City. It only seems like it. Um, As once again, Dave, the injury bug has uh, ripped a bite out of Orlando City this week, uh, injury and illness. Uh, It wasn't enough to have a couple of key players out on international duty. Uh, You've still got Dom Dwyer out. You still have Scott Sutter and Jonathan Spector out. You have uh, now you had to you had to get Lamine Sané into the the thing. He took a knock in training in midweek, and um, it was thought to be a, just a bruise that he'd be okay by the game time. But on game day, uh, Jason said he was too uh, sore to play. Still, um, doesn't expect it to be a long term thing, uh, but he could not play on Saturday. And Will Johnson showed up at training on Friday running a fever and showed up Saturday and he looked so bad. Jason Christ told him to go right home. He didn't want him in the locker room. Didn't want to get anybody else sick, but apparently uh, will looked like death warmed over and was sent home to recover from his illness. So um, a couple of surprises again on a game day. Uh, and um, then when we saw the team sheet, Oh my goodness, was it different? Um, it was a lot was different. The, that's uh, the most interesting uh, team sheet I've ever seen. Yeah, so Chris Schuler uh, stepped in as as you would expect as the uh, fourth center back, and then uh, Tony Rocha, who has to this point only played in the midfield for Orlando City in actual games. He's played some uh, some fullback in, uh, in in you know some preseason games and that kind of thing. But uh, he was called upon to return to his collegiate days and go back to center back and play some center back for Orlando City in an MLS game against only the guy who won the Golden Boot last year, uh, Nemanja Nikolic, and um, the Chicago Fire team that had been, uh, you know, had scored a couple of goals last week against Houston and had kind of been playing up and down soccer, but, you know, they can score goals at times. And uh, that was kind of scary. R.J. Allen took Will Johnson's place, so that was a little less scary since R.J. is a right back by trade. And um, and then we, uh, we saw Pino move back to the bench and Josue Coleman uh, getting some time at striker a position which I think he played for about 14 seconds during the match before dropping back into the midfield um, <laughs> and basically spending most of the rest of the evening behind Justin Merrim or Chris Mueller or both. Um, 
So it was an so interesting you're lineup. There were some challenges, is uh, what you're saying. Yeah, when I saw the team sheet, I sort of thought, well, if I was doing the podcast now, I might predict a 3-1 Chicago victory <laughs> uh, with Nikolic getting all three goals. But, um, you know, actually, I was quite pleasantly surprised, not, not not pleasantly at the outcome, the final outcome, yet another 2-1 loss, the third in a row. But Orlando City really bossed that game throughout. It really felt a lot, kind of like the Portland game in that they, yes, they got scored on first, but it always seemed like they were going to score at some point. And it seemed like once they kicked the door down that they would probably go on and score, you know, Mm -hmm. two, three, four goals. But it just didn't work that way. We saw a familiar face. He was familiar for about 15 seconds. Patrick McLean started in net for Chicago, which was kind of a surprise to me, but um, he was Orlando City property, you may recall, for a couple of weeks, and then mm-hmm. was uh, was traded uh, as uh, after Orlando City picked up Josh Saunders uh, last year uh, from New York City FC. So, um, you know, McLean probably wanted to show Jason Christ what he could do, and he made a couple of really, really sparkling saves in uh, in the match. I believe he's up for MLS Save of the Week uh, for his stop on Justin Merrim, who I, mm-hmm. ke- I keep hearing people saying he's... He's not very good, and he's not playing well. But I thought Justin Miram was really good on Saturday. Um, you know, he's he's going to get himself into areas where he can't get out of because he likes to take guys on, and that's what he does. That's his thing. If you don't know it after the first 12 games of the season, I'm telling you now so that you know the rest of the way. <laughs> this is what Justin Miram does. This is who he is. It's who he was with the crew. It's who he is with us. And I thought – He's not looked good in the past when he's been tucked inside, but I thought he looked, even though he was tucked inside a lot of the game uh, and, and you know, like switching back and forth with Coleman and, and things like that, I thought that he played very well. And he he had uh, quite a few moments that had it. I, I could hear it outside in the crowd, and definitely we said it in the press box, uh, quite a few whoa moments where, you know, he'd yeah. make a move and you go, whoa. And uh, I, so I thought Merrim played pretty well, but I thought that overall the team played very well. Um but they, again, concede first as uh, Mohamed El-Munir is uh, whistled for a foul and uh, a free kick is given, one that Jason Christ said was never a foul, should never have been given. And uh, the free kick uh, taker, uh, Alexander, um, help me with the last name. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Katai. Katai, yes. Sorry, I had a I had... senior moment. I... It, it was in my head, and then when I went to say it, it was gone. Uh, so Katai step, steps up, takes the free kick. Looked like Joe Bendick got fooled like because uh, Schweinsteiger was also there. Maybe he thought Katai's run was going to be a dummy, and uh, it wasn't. And it was a very well-placed free kick, and uh, Bendick looked like he was caught sort of mid-hop. And then when he did go to his right... Uh, huge mistake. He's not able to get his right arm up, and he tries to reach across his body. I think if he gets the right arm up, he may save that. But uh, it's in the net, and it's one nil, and uh, you know, completely against the run of play. Well, it, it was a it was an excellent free kick, you know, taken. I mean, it it was it was a hard one. Even if, like you say, even if Joe had, had gone the right way, it was still going to be it was still going to be a tough one. Um, it's hard to. It, could he have played a better? Sure. But, you know, those things happen in split seconds. Um, you know, give credit to Kakai. Kakai. No, I, can't even, <laughs> I can't even say it. Uh, you know, for taking a good kick. And like you said, you know, Schweinsteiger is right there. Um, I, I 
think I was probably expecting him to take it as well. So, you know, no, no surprise there. Um, it is unfortunate, but this is not exactly the first time that we've gone down, you know, one nil in a match. Um, so like you said, I, even then I wasn't necessarily worried. It stinks and, and you have a little bit of a, here we go again, but at the same time, uh, despite the lineup, uh, I agree. I think that, uh, overall the, the guys that were on the field had a, they really had a pretty good game. I mean, I think if you go back and read our, uh, our player grades, the man of the match, uh, you know, it's reflected in that. And, and, um, w- there was a ton of chances, especially from Miriam. Uh, I think he had what five shots and only one of them was truly bad. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the one that, uh, McLean made the, that great save on. So if he, McLean doesn't make that great save. We're talking about an entirely different result. Yeah, and McLean had a couple of really good saves in the game. Uh, he he was really good. He he uh, he kept uh, Yuri Rossell from scoring his first goal for Orlando City, and uh, had another one. Uh, he can't remember who he he stopped. Maybe it was Coleman, but he had another really good save in that uh, second half. And uh, Orlando City for a while helped him out. Wasn't hitting the net. Uh, just really. Nothing was on frame. Everything was wide. Everything was high. Maybe just uh, in their zeal to try to get something on frame, just not, uh, you know, not uh, having that final bit of composure and concentration to keep their shots uh, on target. But I think, um, you know, in the end, uh, they had enough opportunities to get the job done, and they just didn't, just didn't put enough in the net. Uh, there was also uh, a, a tremendous play by Chris Mueller to get the ball into Christian Aguita for the goal for Orlando City to make it 1-1. But uh, uh, that play, I believe, was started by a, another Coleman pass. So uh, just a, a really nice uh, bit of, of play that came together for Orlando City. Uh, but again, that was the only goal of the night. And it, it just really felt like some goals were going to come. I mean... Uh, R.J. Allen had a beautiful back post ball to uh, Kleshin. Kleshin couldn't get his header on target. Uh, there were uh, a, a few opportunities to shoot where guys took an extra pass. Um, and, you know, that's you're, when you have Coleman in there at, at your as your uh, you know striker and he's a midfielder by trade and a guy who likes to pass the ball a lot, he's, he's going to pass up some shots sometimes, especially young guys like that are going to do that. So... Uh, it was looking like it was just going to be a 1-1 draw unless Orlando City could find some kind of magic. But uh, it actually went the other way as Alan Gordon uh, just absolutely destroyed a ball from about uh, 10 yards above the box. And uh, uh, there it was no chance for Bendik to stop that one. It was, uh, it was a difficult no. situation because the uh, team really was going for the win. And um, they got a little bit stretched, but there was an opportunity maybe for uh, for the, one of the center backs to step up. It couldn't have been Chris Schuler because Chris Schuler broke his arm in the game in the first half, and he played the entire <laughs> second half with an air cast on. It was like, why can't Chris bend his arm? What is going on? And uh, so I asked after the game, and, uh, and Jason Christ said, yeah, it's a broken arm. Uh, he played the second half with a broken arm. So he's a tough dude, and I'm sure that I probably would have uh, – needed a lot of you know something some kind of painkiller and uh and i would have needed to lay down for like a, a month <laughs> <laughs> yeah i definitely would not I, I certainly would not have continued playing 45 minutes of soccer at the mls level uh especially against uh uh you know a striker like nicolage uh, n- n- not happening 
Yeah, the so, weird yeah, thing. Yeah, good on him. I mean, tough guy. <laughs> the weird thing was Schuler almost got the game tying goal late. Um, he had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. He got a he got a nice pass in from uh, I think it was Allen, and um, he had a shot, but it was blocked by the defense, and uh, it was in a good spot. It would have been on frame. So. Anyway, uh, a 2-1 loss for the third consecutive game and a real, real lost opportunity for an Orlando team, missing a lot of guys to prove that they can win without Dom Dwyer, without Jonathan Spector, without Scott Sutter, without Yoshimar Yotun, um, because it was there for them to win, and they had every opportunity to do so. Just very wasteful uh, with the chances. It was a very weird dust-up at the end of the game. Uh, where Kleshton got run into by Mo Adams, didn't like it, so he tackled him um, at the, you know, just at the top of the box. They went down in the box. Adams brought his foot down in Kleshton's face, and immediately the referee uh, Nima Sagafi shows a red card to Mo Adams, and it's like, well, what's going on here? That's a red card, and it's in the box. And then right. after he gets up and every sorts everything out, he gives a yellow to question. And then he claims that the initial call was on question. And so everything after that doesn't mean anything. Um, Jason Christ was very adamant after the game that he was told by the head of officiating that in a dead ball situation, if a player gets a red card, now keep in mind, once the foul is called on question, it's a dead ball. If then a red card offense occurs, then the foul is given where the red card happened, which was in the box. So, mm-hmm. He was just beside himself with with anger, with frustration at there not being a penalty called on the situation, um, not not getting um, satisfactory responses from the referees, and uh, he was um, in the press conference. He didn't even really make an opening statement. He said, "I'd rather just take questions tonight." Sorry, guys, um, which is okay because I mean the. He ends up usually repeating himself when we ask questions from what he said to, <laughs> you know, to summarize the game anyway. But um, interesting, though. I mean, he really was happy with his team's performance overall. Obviously would like some more finishes, but um, he, he was certainly not happy with the officiating. And he, he stopped probably just short of getting fined. But uh, Chicago, I hear, has appealed the Mo Adams red card, which is actually kind of surprising because, I mean, um, you know, we all remember Kaka's little face wash on Aurelian Collin, which was obvious in jest and good fun. And that didn't even get, um, uh, you know, an appeal from Orlando city. So you would think that usually you don't appeal unless you're pretty sure that's going to get overturned. So uh, I'd be interested to see how that happens. I know Chicago is a midweek game, so we'll know by Wednesday if it does get to overturned or not, but uh, that looked to be, and I only saw one angle of it. Um, and obviously I saw it live cause I was there. Uh, but I saw the one angle on replay, and it did look like he brought his foot down right into Sasha's face, whether or not it was intentional. I mean, that's – I don't think you can really – at least from the angle I saw, you couldn't glean intent from the replay. So I don't know how that's going to shake out. But that was a, a very odd moment, and, of course, um, the fans not happy about that. And neither was I. Yeah. Uh, you probably weren't either. You know, uh, certainly uh, Sasha wasn't, and obviously Jason wasn't. Um, yeah, as far as uh, uh, Chicago um, uh, appealing that red card, well, they're not Orlando City, so it's worth a try. Um, obviously, you know, if we were to it, it would get shot down because, you know, like you said, the Kaka, uh face thing. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – you're right. Uh, uh, the thought that was going through my mind is okay. Okay, here we go. Penalty shot, but nothing. 
and you're you're left shaking your head and wondering what's going on. Um, in regards to all the other um, missed opportunities and shots, uh, you know, we had some some guys that were taking um, chances, usually from outside the box, um, and I. I almost feel initially in the game, I felt okay about that. Cause I'm like, all right, well, at least they're, you know, they're taking a shot. They're taking an opportunity. Um, I would almost rather that than taking one too many passes and just losing the ball. Um, and there was, I can't remember who it was, but, uh, I know that, um, I was yelling shoot at the, uh, television screen, uh, when somebody had the ball and they did not. Mm. And I, I'd have to go back and, and watch again to see who it was. But, um, if I'd gotten to the level of frustration where uh, I'm, I'm saying that with uh, guests at the house and all that, and I'm yelling at the TV, then it was obviously something that was happening enough that I was getting frustrated about it. Yeah. Well, you know, the the shots from distance were necessary. Uh, Chicago was uh, was sagging back pretty good defensively, so uh, there were, it's worthwhile to have a go from there, especially with the sure. other, uh, an inexperienced, relatively inexperienced goalkeeper in the net. The problem is you got to hit the net for that to be effective. And, and Orlando really had trouble doing that early on in the game. And it was, uh, it was too bad because uh, I think there were some opportunities there. If you score an early goal on Patrick McLean and maybe shake his confidence a little bit, you could go on and win the, the game comfortably. And really there were enough chances for Orlando city to win the game comfortably, but they did not. And uh, now they're, they've, they followed a six game winning streak with a three game losing streak, which I think is still a plus three in the, the overall uh, plus minus uh, if you take the last nine games, that's still pretty good. Orlando City's uh, schedule now gets rougher. They go on the road for three. Uh, they're going to have to get some results, and uh, they're going to have to get some guys back probably to get those results because even in, in a, even in when your team is deep, you, you have uh, a league of parity, and going on the road without Dom Dwyer is not going to be ideal because we've seen the difference he makes in the offense. We've seen uh, the team's record with and without him. And people say, well, it should, shouldn't matter who you put in there at striker. If you have another striker, it shouldn't matter. Dom does things that other guys don't do. And one of those things is he pulls the defensive shape apart. Um, Stefano Pino hasn't learned that yet. Josue Coleman hasn't learned that yet. And Chris Mueller hasn't really learned that yet. And a couple of those guys are not nearly as good a, a hold-up play that Orlando City needs. Because Orlando City has, you know, I mean, Merrim isn't really slow but he's not a speedster. Questions will get a little long in the tooth. He's not quick. So you've got guys you need to bring into the play in the Orlando City attack. And Dom does that because he can hold on to that ball that extra second or two to let those guys get into good spots. So there's things that Dom does that the other guys aren't doing. Maybe that's something they address in the summer window. Um, it's hard to say, but uh, Dom Dwyer is definitely a key to what this team does offensively. And that's why the team went out and got him and spent so much money to get him. I was about to say that same exact thing. There's a reason why he's getting paid. The money he's getting paid. Um, like you said, you can see it just in the results when he's on the field, when he's not on the field. And, um, you know, despite other guys stepping up, I think, you know, Mueller over the last nine games has played exceptional. Um, you know, he's not necessarily the best. He's not going to be as experienced as a rookie, but I still think he's playing good. Um, Despite everybody wanting Miriam to score more goals, I think he's been playing well. Sasha's settling in. I, I think there's a lot of good things happening. But having Dom as that, that center point, like you said, he pulls defenses apart. He He's somebody they have to account for, which opens up stuff for everybody else. Right. Well, and when, that's what I mean when I say he pulls defenses apart. He 
he makes guys move that otherwise would be comfortable sitting where they're at. And once they move, that opens up those holes for the other guys to run into and score goals. So even if it's not Dom scoring the goal, Chris Mueller has all this extra room to work with, or or uh, Merrim has extra room to work with, and that, and you know, or a guy bombing forward like a Will Johnson. We saw that this year earlier in the season when he he came in and he had the entire, you know, basically the entire six yard box to himself right. for a tap in goal. So I mean, there's there's all kinds of of things that Dom does for you that um, that just aren't getting done uh, when he's not on the field. So, um, you know, it's there's not a lot of guys like him and that's why they spend a lot of money to get him. And he's, he's definitely a key to what this team does. He's usually been a durable guy, but this year he's, he's had some, some bumps and bruises and he's missed some games. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can put that behind him pretty soon and, and get him back out on the field. Uh, Dave, who was your man of the match for this? Uh, this was a no brainer and, and it seems to be a, a theme going on, but it's going to be Mr. Christian Higita. He, uh, obviously he had the goal, but, um, he he did so much, I, and I, I made sure I watched him in particular. Um, he was linking up the, uh, the the defensive line up to the to the front. He was pointing pointing to places where he wanted guys to go. His passes were excellent. Um, he seemed to be doing everything that you would want from him uh, in a game again, and then also scoring. Um, you know, it, it's. I, I can't say enough. He he continued. He, he took care of the midfield, and he didn't just take care of the midfield, but he also was the the engine for the you know the attack. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, I thought he had another exceptional game, and uh, I hope it continues. It seems like maybe he has actually turned a corner, and, and if we can. If we can expect this from him week in, week out, uh, that's a, a whole nother piece that uh, at the beginning of the season, you or I, I don't think would have expected. Yeah, Higita for me also, he, he definitely stepped up his game this year. He's uh, He looks like a confident player. He's, uh, he's certainly more willing to get into the attack and more comfortable getting into the attack than he was, but he still continues to do good work getting back and breaking up play all over the field, shielding the ball very well, and and really um, not giving much space and, and being able to take the ball away. So he's, he's been really doing it on all ends of the pitch and uh, really want to see that continue. He's really been good. He was also very uh, dejected after the game. I mean, I, I don't know how much they showed on television, but we saw him uh, yeah. get, get the guitar for being man of the match. And I never seen somebody so unhappy to get a free guitar. I, well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, but I think it's because he, uh, I think it's because he has done exactly what we said is he's, he's taking ownership of, of the team in, in certain respects. And, and so I, I, with the, you know, all the guys out on the field and, you know, him being somebody that's been around longer, I, I feel that he's, he's taking a, a bit of that leadership role. Um, like I said, you can see it. If you go back and watch that match, um, you can see him, you know, pointing out things, giving out commands, um, you know, trying to, to get guys and, and like I said, making excellent passes. So I, I think that he, he was dejected because he, he's putting so much into it and he's, he's playing amazing, but, um, I think he really wanted that result from that. Um, especially after he scored that goal. And, and I think we all felt, uh, you said earlier that it seemed that, uh, Orlando was, should have gotten a result, maybe even was more likely to get a, a second goal. But, um, 
so yeah still sad you know for him he did get a guitar and uh you know and i didn't and you didn't and i didn't uh but yeah the, <laughs> well that's because you, you didn't get it in the center back like we hope that's right the 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 entire second half seemed like it was played in in chicago's half of the field so it really did feel like another goal was coming it just never came and and that's again uh, you know Maybe it doesn't change things to have Dom on the field, but I have a feeling if Dom was on the field, they're scoring four or five goals in that game uh, just because he's going to have a little bit more sharpness around net and he's going to open more space for others. And I I thought that Chicago, I would give them credit. I thought their, their back four played very well in the game. They, they got unlocked a few times, but it didn't end up hurting them because either McLean was there to make a save or, or Orlando would miss the net. But I thought their, their back four probably played their best game of the year. And, McLean also did. Here's the, th- the other thing, Dave, is when you you and I have both seen enough games, we both cheer for teams in the EPL especially that are always in the top four. And we've seen a lot of games where our team have, has been the better team and not won the game over the years. And it just oh, yeah. doesn't always work out that the better team wins the game. And I think there was no question Orlando City was the better team on Saturday night, but they did not get the win. And it takes special things to win those games. What it takes is two save of the week candidates by McLean. It's uh, two of MLS's uh, goal of the week candidates first are from that game. Katai right. and Gordon are both up for MLS goal of the week. One of McLean's saves got uh, was up for MLS save of the week. So uh, it takes special plays uh, when your team is is outmatched to win a game. And, and Chicago rose to the occasion. And I, I tip my cap to him. And obviously, Orlando City didn't finish. They didn't do enough to get the victory. But, um, you know, most nights that would have been fine. Most nights, that effort, those chances, that possession, that passing accuracy is going to be enough to get it done. It just wasn't this time. So we move forward. We hope to get a result at uh, Yankee Stadium and um, hit a couple of home runs in that game and uh, (laughs) get out of there with a win. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I've said it before. Soccer is um, a long stretch of disappointment and uh, heartbreak uh, with splotches of pure joy. Yeah, and also a lot of frustration in between all of that. Oh, yes. So anyway, we move forward and uh, hopefully the lads in purple can come back from New York with some points and uh, we can make uh, go into the uh, U.S. Open Cup. Uh, match in round four at Miami with a little bit of momentum, hopefully. Uh, Dave, we got the, another professional soccer team to talk about, the Orlando Pride, playing twice since we last spoke. And uh, they uh, had two different results, but the one thing that was in common to both of those games is the Pride have found their scoring boots, and uh, they put three up on the best team in the league, and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't quite enough. Uh, in a Wednesday 4-3 loss to North Carolina, but then they put five up on the road at Chicago, and uh, that was a place where they hadn't scored a goal their first couple of trips up there, uh, and uh, they were able to just absolutely uh, blast the Red Stars out of the building after uh, building an early lead and seeing it uh, seeing it evaporate. They just uh, went on a, a late scoring binge. So uh, two games, the Pride have now uh, completed 
five of the six games in what I call their their schedule gauntlet of the season, which was uh, five out of six on the road and the one home game against the North Carolina Courage, the best team in the league. So I said all along, two wins and two draws would be a fantastic outcome. They have three wins and a draw with a game left in this stretch. So you're saying it was better than advertised. I'm saying, yeah, they, they definitely got through this bitter part of the schedule uh, in really, really good shape. Um, it was a weird game. The North Carolina game was very strange because the, the team yeah. kind of – North Carolina, you know, they played in the midweek uh, or they played on the weekend. So they had a short week. So people expect now they'll come down, they'll be tired, they'll wilt in the, in the heat and that kind of thing. But a team that's rolling sometimes – doesn't matter how tired they are if they're rolling and they're confident sometimes they just continue to do that and then the pride meanwhile had had a long layoff and i think that that kind of made it difficult for them to 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 get into the game and it 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 looked like they were a bit slow a bit sluggish not really alert early in the game and it's it took them a while to get into it the first half tom sermani called their worst half the worst half of soccer in orlando pride history uh, but they only got out of that half down a goal. Now, some of that was uh, some good fortune. Some of that was absolutely outstanding goalkeeping by Ashlyn Harris. Mm-hmm. And uh, then halftime came. Things changed a little bit. Uh, Orlando got back in the game. They tied it up. They fell behind. They gave up another goal. Even though at the time they, they sort of were taking the, the game to North Carolina, it seemed like North Carolina got a goal goal or two against the run of play, made it 3-1. Uh, the pride were able to rally from that and make it 3-3. And then uh, just like it, it really seemed like a game that deserved to be a tie, just as it was yeah. about to become one, this long-ass cross comes in, <laughs> and Ashlyn Harris decides, eh, my defense will figure it out. I don't need to come off my line a few steps and grab that, uh, and it's in the net. Uh, it was it was not good. And, and, and as good as Ashlyn Harris was in the first half of that game, she was equally as awful in the second half um she gave up an own goal which i think they very generously did not give an own goal and they gave it to the north carolina player uh but it was an own goal it was a ball off the post that ricocheted back across the front of goal hit harrison went in so if that's not an own goal the only way that's not an own goal dave is if she's standing inside the net She's standing on the she's standing behind the goal line and it hits her and goes in hits the back of the net. Then it then it's not an own goal. But I have no idea how that's not an own goal. And that was with Zadorsky trying to get it out of there too. Uh, that was that was the, the that was the second one. The, the late one right. was the was the one which really was almost another own goal. Um, it barely crossed the line and it looked like they had a chance to keep that out. But um, you know. Some goalkeepers do this thing where they think, oh, that that's going in or it's going wide. So they don't move. And it really cost Ashlyn Harris on that goal, um, not the last goal, but the earlier one that went in off of her. Because mm-hmm. if she just takes a step toward her post, if that ball hits the post and comes back toward her, she she's in position. It, she's going to catch that ball. Right. She lets it go. It bounces sideways off and it comes at her. To the to her side and it bounces off her side. Then she's left struggling to try to reach out a paw and paw it out of the net. And she did that, but they ruled that it crossed the line in, in its entirety. I'm, you know, it's, we don't have goal line technology in, in the NWSL, so um, we don't know if it crossed completely. But we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. And it, 
but anyway, you look at it. I think she was poor on that one. I think she was poor on the fourth goal. And the defense was a mess in that game. Um, yeah. There were, a, a, and I'm I'm going to be very critical of Allie Krieger here because I'm going to be very nice to Allie Krieger, you know, when we talk about the next game. But I thought Allie had a terrible game. Um, there was an unlucky uh, goal that North Carolina scored when Kristen Edmonds tried to clear a ball out of the from front of the net, and she knocked it off the back of another North Carolina player, and it came to McDonald. I'm not convinced that was onside at all. In fact, I'm pretty convinced it was offside, but it counted. And uh, at the end of the day, I really feel like a 3-3 draw would have been a very fair um, result for both teams because I, I felt like North Carolina was by far the better team in the first half, and I felt like the Pride were the be- much better team in the second half. Uh, they just really got undone by some bizarre plays. It was absolutely a game of, of two halves, uh, like you said, with uh, one team being better and one one in the other. And then, yeah, bizarre is the right word. Um, it, it's you you come back and and tie, you know, or equalize three times, uh, and then you get that heartbreaker of the last one. It's it's incredibly hard, especially given that it was uh, what 90th minute when they scored that last one. So. Uh, to get a fourth equalizer is incredibly difficult. Uh, you know, scoring four goals is incredibly difficult, let alone, you know, come pulling back four times. So, uh, and that last one, I, it, I, I think it, it was McDonald again, goes over Harris, Zdorsky can't keep it out. And, uh, you, you just, I was exhausted at that point. Because I was up and down the entire game with, you know, going down, coming back, going down, coming back. And by that last one, I was just like, OK, I'm done. Yeah, it was a, it was it was tough. Uh, it was tough to watch. And again, I, I'm very critical of goalkeepers that look like they're afraid to come off their line. And it looked like Ashlyn on that last play had plenty of time to come out, take charge of that situation and didn't decided not to. Maybe she couldn't have. Maybe I'm misreading it. But it looked like she had the opportunity to do that. She did not. But she kind of came about halfway out. So the ball kind of went sort of, she was kind of in no man's land. I guess is what I'm trying it, to say. She was absolutely in no man's land and it went, it just kind of went over top of her just a bit, like yeah. barely. And like I said, and give it up to Sidorsky for trying to get to it. But ugh. yeah, it's unfortunate that Shalina couldn't keep it out. It really, a three, three would have been great. That would have, that would have uh, really kept things going in terms of the, the, um, it wouldn't have been a win streak anymore. It would have been an unbeaten streak would have reached six, but the, the win streak was uh, snapped or the unbeaten streak was snapped at five. It would have been an unbeaten streak at six. Um, and then it would have been seven because they went to Chicago, Dave, and they really dominated the Chicago Red Stars. They were, um, there were some issues again on the back line with, apparently they don't think that Sam Kerr is good or something. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they don't realize how good she is, but it, <laughs> It was bizarre to me that no one ever really tracked her. And she was, it was pretty clear from early on that Chicago was just going to lop balls over the top and try to get Sam in behind everybody. And still they were able to do it about four times. And 
it was it was tough, but Orlando, if you have Sam Kerr, that's not a bad strategy. Yeah, it is. Uh, before I move on completely to that Chicago game, though, I do want to say Marta with two assists uh, against the North Carolina Courage. Uh, it was good to see her setting setting goals up again, and uh, Alana Kennedy in that game got the podcast bump with her goal. Uh, so good good job mm-hmm. for Alana. Um, so Chicago, they come out and they they instantly jump on the Red Stars, and there's two goals in the first six minutes, and you're feeling pretty good about things because uh, Rachel Hill scored early, and uh, Alex Morgan scored on just a glorious ball in from Marta onto her yeah. head, and uh, and you know you don't see a lot of headed goals by Morgan, but that one was a good one. Well, and so it was Marta two nothing early, right on her forehead. So. Yeah. So it's two nothing, and things are looking pretty good. And it was uh, really close to being three, and then um, Kerr pulls one back, and there was a again another one of those weird goals, Dave. It was uh, uh, Chicago ended up tying it two two, but there was a play where Kerr gets in behind. Harris makes a heck of a save to keep it out. They clear it. But they don't clear it all the way out. They just clear it sort of sideways. Like nobody, like I think it was Zadorsky had a chance to just blast that into the third row. She just yep. sends it out wide. So it comes back in, and the ball in the air comes back in, and Zadorsky figures she can get on that. So she gets up, and the thing goes like an inch and a half over her head. And Poliana was was she was very tightly uh, guarding air. <laughs> in the middle of some space. That space was locked down. It was not going to score. But no. Sam Kerr was between that space and <laughs> and Sidorsky, and the ball fell onto her head. She gets a pretty weak header, uh, and it looked like, okay, well, Ashland's going to get over to get that. But for whatever reason, just not able to quite get there. It was just perfect placement uh, and um, just inside the post. And Harris just, uh, you know, maybe a hand's width from being able to get the get the save so it, it became 2-2 at that point and you're like man Orlando has played far too good in this game to not get all three points and then they came out in the second half and uh, the rest of the second half just dominated the game Sydney LaRue was introduced and Allie Krieger came to life Dave she mm-hmm. put on a, she put every bit an inch perfect cross onto LaRue's head as Marta had earlier to Alex Morgan. And that was a beautiful ball in LaRue made no mistake, heads it in. It's a, it's an NWSL goal of the week candidate. Go vote on Twitter for Sydney LaRue. Cause uh, it's been a while waiting for her to score a goal, but right. we didn't have to wait long for her to score a second goal because uh, Krieger involved again in the buildup for the second goal. And um, Morgan gets it crossed in uh, takes a little bit of a deflection uh, behind Sid, so Sid just turns around, picks it up, and uh, spins and shoots and scores again. So two goals in two minutes for Sydney LaRue makes it 4-2, and uh, then another late strike, uh, this time by Danny Weatherholt, to make it 5-2, an absolute destruction of the Red Stars. Yeah, it was uh, it was good to see Sid get on the uh, the scoring uh, a train uh, with two, like you said, two in two minutes. Fantastic. Um, and then uh, the rest of the team, obviously, you know, like you said, Krieger was getting, you know, good balls in. But uh, and she was actually the one that sent the ball to Van Eggman, who sent it to uh, Morgan, who crossed it in for LaRue. So, I mean, she, mm-hmm. you know, she she started that one. Yeah. Part of that um, build up. Right. She was part of that build up. So uh, the all the problems that she had in the, the previous game against the Courage, she 
you know, more than made up for in, in the game. Um, and completely turned it around. So I'll give up the uh, courage game as everybody has a bad game every once in a while. Krieger's typically pretty good. Um, and, uh, so uh, five, two, you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, it's just, it's one of those ones where if you see the score at half, you're like, okay. And then you see the score at the end. You're like, Oh, I got to go watch this if you missed it because something (laughs) big happened. I need to go watch this. Yeah, now, remember, uh, Tony Presley here on this program told us that it's, she thinks it's just a matter of time before the team scores a few goals and then kind of opens up the floodgates. And She was right. Those three goals against the Courage were definitely encouraging for the next game because then five more, and it could have been more because Alana Kennedy had a header that uh, Listener got like a fingertip on and knocked it off of the post, and then uh, somehow somehow the ball in the six yard box got kicked over the net instead of into the net. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, there were other opportunities for Orlando pride to score more, uh, Mm -hmm. but it was good to see Morgan and LaRue get on the score sheet and Rachel Hill and Marta get another assist, three assists in two games for her. Uh, Just an outstanding day. And um, it, it looks like the pride have figured out how to win on the road. Well, let's give it up to Tony. She's a prophet. Uh, she said it on the uh, the podcast, and it came true. So I don't know if that's a podcast bump uh, or if that's just her being her being awesome. But uh, you know, uh, I, and I know she's listening. So uh, let's let's thank her for that. But yeah, it, it's uh, and obviously she was right. Um, and we knew that this team had offensive firepower. Um, you know, it may have taken a little longer for them to really get it going than we would have liked. But if if this is more indicative of what we can expect, um, they're going to be incredibly dangerous. And like you said, they were in the, the tough part of the season right now. If they get into the supposedly easier part of the season and they're still scoring goals like this, look out. So one more game in this uh, gauntlet of six games, and that's at Seattle on Sunday. Orlando Pride will be without uh, Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris, who were both called up to the U.S. Women's National Team. And they were all all of the players being asked to report June 1st because reasons. Um, <laughs> we talked re- about that last week. <laughs> what reasons? I don't know. Six days before a friendly makes no sense to me to take players away from your domestic league. But they did it. Uh, Rapino will not obviously be there for Seattle. So... Both teams missing their big guns, but um, Seattle's a good defensive club. It's going to be a difficult uh, trip to to play out there, and uh, you know, not a place that Orlando has been real successful. Uh, but an opportunity here, Dave, to really close out this road trip uh, with a bang. If they can get one or three points there, that is a tremendous stretch of six games, mm-hmm. much better than you would have ever expected when you looked at the schedule. Yep. And um, and you know, like you said, the 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 schedule sets up very well the second half of the season. More home games, uh, more of the teams closer to the bottom of the table, uh, although there are uh, more more meetings with North Carolina, but there's more Houston, there's more Sky Blue, there's more Washington, there's more Houston coming. Um, so it does set up nicely for a, a stretch run for the Pride. I don't know that anybody's catching the courage this year, so they might be playing for second place. Uh, but once they 
the, the key thing is just getting the playoffs. Anything can happen once you get in the playoffs. So it would be great to see the pride finish the season strong, get, get, you know, lock down a second spot, get a home game mm-hmm. in the semis, and then uh, go up to Portland for that final, uh, against uh, whoever wins the other one. So, um, Anyway, uh, it'll be fun to see what happens. We'll be back to talk about Orlando Pride and Seattle next week. And uh, now I believe we should probably get to this week's guest because uh, he played an integral part of uh, Orlando City's game unexpectedly on Saturday. (laughs) And uh, we'll get to that interview right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, happy to have with us uh, back again, uh, Tony Rocha, who played uh, center back this week for Orlando City. It's been a while since we've had you on, Tony. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I wanted to start out by uh, asking you just really where this whole center back thing started, because the you know the team has been going through some injuries, going through uh, you know international mm-hmm. absence, and and all of a sudden there's no center backs left. And, uh, and and I, we're hearing reports Tony Rocha is uh, is training at center back in uh, you know at training with the team and uh, and then you go out and you get a start and uh, uh, just tell me how that whole thing came about. Um. Well, it started the after the first year I signed with the MLS team towards the end. I kind of trained at center back in small side games and I brought up to the coaches that I used to play center back in college and they had no idea. Um. And then so this year, with like you just said, uh, people being injured and leaving for international duty, um, they had known that I played center back, and so they were putting me in training, and, and I've been training pretty well the past couple of weeks and, and got to start this weekend at center back. Well, obviously we knew that. We saw you play. Um, how, yeah. how was it being back at center back uh, for the first time in, in I don't know how long? <laughs> uh, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I remember when I first moved to center back in college, I hated it because I was used to getting up, up and down the field and, and being in attack. And then when I got moved to center back, it literally was, you can't move. You're the last line of defense. Um, but playing that for a while, I got used to it. And so I enjoyed the game this weekend. So you say you're the last line of defense, but I have to tell you, I, I saw you maybe a little bit of muscle memory start to come up the field a few times there. Uh, what was it like for you to, to try to pick your spots about when to come forward? Yeah, it, it, towards the end of the first half, um, I kind of noticed that there was a lot of space whenever me or whenever Shula had the ball, and, and we weren't doing that well of a job kind of bringing it up and making it easier for the midfielders and the forwards. Um, so whenever we did get it towards the end of the first half, um, kind of taking that space and making one of their players commit because they were playing man for man, so it would have been easier to, to kind of get the ball up the field doing it that way. Um so kind of just recognizing the, the space that we had in front of us and, and taking it. Well, obviously, you know, that's the space in front of you. I want to talk about behind you, you know, the whole last line of defense. Obviously, that, uh, Joe might take an issue with that uh, since he probably thinks it's him. Uh, how was communication with him? Was it uh, uh, was he barking orders? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, um, being on the field, it's definitely hard to hear uh, your teammates. Um with just how loud it is in the stadium. And so that's what we kind of work on during training, the whole kind of nonverbal communication and positioning and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I definitely heard him a couple of times. 
uh, back there organizing and, and kind of keeping everything organized in front of them. So I asked Jason after the uh, match why uh, why Chris couldn't move his arm in the second half, and uh, he says that he's got a broken arm and played with it the whole second half. Can you imagine playing? A, have you ever done anything like that? Can you? I can't even imagine uh, getting out of bed with a broken arm, let alone playing uh, 45 minutes of of MLS soccer. Yeah, I, um, I fractured my collarbone one time during a scrimmage, not during a game, and I came out immediately uh, after that just because I couldn't move my arm. And I remember one time in the second half, he went in shoulder shoulder with somebody, and I could just see the grimace on his face and. Um, just eating that pain that I'm sure he had uh, the entire second half. He's definitely a uh, a strong guy back there. Yeah, we're hearing that uh, he might still be playing with a broken arm. I mean, obviously, they'll they'll wrap it uh, or you know have it in a cast. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe it'll it'll be easier for him. Um, what uh, you know uh, with that new role and, and with the uncertainty of of who's going to be playing, um, you know. What have been the challenges stepping back into that that center back role for you? Uh, just positioning, both offensively and defensively. Um, like I mentioned before, the ability to take the ball forward when there's space. Um, just watching the runs, like the forward running in behind, or the the other wide player running in behind, and kind of just keeping your head on a swivel and and. Um, focusing on those kind of things and also the organizing the players in front of you. Uh, I know CJ always tells me all the time to constantly, constantly be communicating to people in front of you and keep people organized and stuff. So I think that's kind of been a, I won't say a hard adjustment, but something that I've had to work on being moved back to center back because I can see the entire field and, and kind of keep people organized. Now, Tony, when you play a game like that, where it really seemed like, Chicago was just there to hang on and see what they could get out of the game. And, and you guys were really taking it to them throughout the match. And uh, just to get a couple of goals that really center back wise, you can't do anything about the, uh, the free kick, obviously. And then the, I don't think anybody saw the laser from uh, Gordon coming late in the game. I don't know if there's anything else you could have done on, on that one. If you had uh, maybe any chance to close down or if maybe somebody else could have closed him down. But uh, what do you take from a game like that where you, where you guys really play well, get a lot of chances. I mean, 20 plus shots on goal or shots at the net and, and come away empty. I mean, how does, how does the team respond to things like that? Yeah, it, it, um, it was tough in the locker room after, uh, the game because we know we all deserve to get something from the game. Um, and we all knew that we deserved three points from the game. Um, but, you know, we, we just take put the positives from the game. Like you said, we had a, a ton of chances. You know, on a different night, the chances going, and we ended up winning 5-2. Um, so we can't really focus on, on the negatives um, of it and, and just take it game by game. So now our next focus is in New York City and kind of put that game behind us. And so we're not really thinking about that and, and just focus on New York City. Oh, speaking of New York City and the uh, playing on the postage stamp that is their uh, their field, <laughs> how how does that affect uh, uh, the the game plan or your positioning? Um, you know, given the lack of space. Yeah, um, it's obviously going to be a lot more compact. I've never played uh, in, in New York, so it's going to be a different experience for me. Um, if I end up getting the start again. Um, but yeah, just, just keeping everybody organized and 
and knowing that um, the space behind us really isn't as much as it is on a normal size field. Um, so maybe we can step a little bit higher and, and press them. Now we just got word that, um, you know, Jonathan Spector has been cleared for full training and, uh, you know, obviously the team is deep. You don't worry when, when one man goes down, you have a next man up mentality, but what does it mean mm -hmm. to you to get the captain back? Uh, not only, um, you know, in games down the road uh, when he gets his match fitness, but in training every day. Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely a, a confidence booster. I mean, he's a captain for a reason. Uh, he not only leads on the field, but off the field and, and um, kind of having him there and, and watching how he plays and kind of learning from him and then him giving me advice on what I should be doing back there and all that stuff. And it's definitely a positive having him back. Now, you guys are about to, to embark on a three-game road trip, obviously starting with New York, as we just said. Um, what, uh, um, you know, coming off that uh, that loss at home, what's the, the mentality of the team? What, what, are, what are you guys hoping to accomplish other than, you know, nine points, obviously? Yeah, I know we have a long road trip coming up, but but honestly, we're we're just focusing on New York City. Like we, um, just trying to take it one game at a time, and, and so getting ourselves ready, uh, tactically and physically to to go out and put a good performance against New York City. So getting your first start at center back for Orlando City, it, it was probably not. Um your favorite thing to see that Nemanja Nikolic, last year's Golden Boot winner, was going to be uh, the guy you were facing and trying to shut down, but you guys actually did shut him down. And, and and you know how were you guys able to to not only snuff out Nikolic as a danger, but also uh, to really kind of force him off the pitch at halftime? <laughs> yeah, I mean we watch video on all the teams and, and kind of see their tendencies and everything, and so we we're kind of aware what he was going to do in the first half and um luckily the plan that we had uh worked and um you saw he got started at halftime not sure if that was because he, he wasn't doing anything or, or just for a tackle change but um yeah we, we definitely prepared well for him how would you rate your before sorry dave i don't mean to cut you off how would you rate your performance uh, as your in your first uh, start at center back for orlando city um that's a tough question. I, I thought I did well. Um, I'm obviously going to put blame on myself uh, for the the second goal because I think I could have stepped, um, and maybe that would have affected the shot shot um, or something. But I, th I think apart from that, I think it did well defensively. And it being my first start at at uh, center back in a while, um, I think I put in a good performance. I'd say we all have to agree with that assessment. Um, you know, especially because. That's not the, the not the position you've been playing, and, and it's one of those things where if, if there's nothing glaringly bad, then that means you probably did a decent job. So, uh, you know, take a little solace in that. Um, yeah. You know, but as Michael said earlier, you know, you, you're one of the guys that's been around for a while. Um, tell me what, uh, if there's a difference in, you know, with this team, with all the new guys, um, you know, how, how do you see it? as somebody who's been around for a while? Um, I would say that the players that they brought in, um, they have a different type of professionalism about them. And I think that resonates throughout the team. Um, with We have a lot of leaders on the team. Um, and that helps kind of the younger guys and um, the guys that haven't been here for a while to kind of create a new culture within the club. And I've definitely seen that change. Um, 
this year. Now, uh, Cam Lindley and uh, Pierre De Silva got to go play for Anthony Pulis uh, this past weekend. You were able to get a couple game loan over to St. Louis. How was it getting back together with him and, and seeing some familiar faces over there and playing some <laughs> USL soccer? Yeah, um, it was good seeing him. I, I enjoyed playing under him when, when he was here, and um, it was definitely an easy transition to go to a new team and not really know. Well, I knew a couple of the guys, Austin Marks was over there, played OCB last year, and, and Albert Deco was there, um, and Jake, the goalkeeper. So a couple of faces kind of made it um, easier and kind of made me feel more comfortable um, the first few days I was in because it was Friday. I flew, no, I flew on Thursday. Friday had the first training, and then Saturday I was already in the game. So um, it kind of made my nerves a little easier and also uh, playing under a coach that that, um, that I respect. Um, uh it was fun. I enjoyed the two games that I played there. Um, switching gears back to uh, New York City, I'm curious, uh, you know, what do you think are the keys for uh, you guys to go get a result there, you know, getting back on the front foot and, and, and back on the uh, the winning side of a, of a match? Um, is, is there anything that, that we haven't seen that you guys need to do, or, or how do you see that? Um, yeah, obviously New York is a, a really good team in this league, and, and I think um, playing away from home uh, is always tough. Um, so I think we just need to be organized defensively and, and take our chances. Now this David Villa guy is kind of good. Um, <laughs> you're gonna have, if you get to play, you're gonna have to go up against him. H- have you studied his movements? Because it seems to me that his his greatest uh, asset as a striker in this league is that he's. He sort of makes these quick, unpredictable runs, and before you are, are aware of what he's doing, it's kind of too late to stop too him. Late. Yeah. yeah. So what are you? Yeah, have um, you looked at that? Um, no, we have we haven't yet this week. Um, but I'm sure we will. And, and I know, just like we watch video on Nikolic, um, we're gonna watch video on, on David Davia, and, and so we're gonna try to do the best that we can to prevent kind of his strengths um throughout the game and um hopefully keep a clean sheet um now you you probably had a good uh a good look at at christian higita uh you know as he was doing his thing uh up ahead of you on the field um it seems that uh, he's maybe turned a corner is playing at a, a different level than he has in the past um what are your impressions about him over the last say five six games yeah, I mean, he's been playing very well, um, not only in games, but in training. And I think that's why he's been playing well in games, is because he's been playing well in training. Um, and just his intensity in training and and um, how he trains has really, uh, I would say, helped him play the way, he's, the way that he's played and kind of been a, a solid rock for us in the middle of the field. So before we let you go, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the fans don't get to see really what you guys do in your you know in training. I know that um, there were a lot of questions with OCB going away and and how are guys going to get competitive minutes and stay match fit and that kind of thing. But you guys are playing a lot of low key behind the scenes scrimmages uh, locally. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of t- uh, take us through that? You know what you guys have been doing. Yeah, um, for the players that don't play. Um during the game on Saturday, there, there'd be a scrimmage for us to play on Sunday. Um, and it's been nice because we get to play, get to stay game fit. Um, 
it's always nice kind of being in game situations because uh, I know it's different than being just in training and playing small-sided. Uh, so that's definitely helped us and with injuries and Open Cup games the players that uh, there's going to be a lot of players being rotated and having those scrimmages is, is uh, kind of help prepare for these games coming up. Who are, who are some of the teams that you guys have, have scrimmaged against? Uh, our Montverde Academy, played Jacksonville University, um, Jacksonville Armada, um, FIU, and UCF, I think, are a few. I can't remember the other ones. All right, so some pretty good competition. Well, uh, Tony, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate you stopping back by and, and uh, you know, telling us about your your uh, your foray back into the back line and, and, and on all the other things we talked about. And we wish you the best of luck uh, for the rest of the season. Thank you, and thanks again for having me. All right, Dave, we're heading into some stoppage time now. Thanks again to Tony Rocha for stopping by, being a repeat uh, visitor here on the podcast. And thanks to Rafa Cabrera, who's actually off uh, work, but spending time with his family, who took time out to uh, connect us with Tony uh, on his day off. So that was nice. So thank you to Rafa and thanks to Tony. Absolutely. Thanks, Rafa. Wearing his uh, brand new U.S. uh, national jersey. Yeah, got it as a gift, he said. That's good. I wish somebody would give me some mm-hmm. like that because those are, those are pricey as we found yeah. out today. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. a little bit, but before we do that, why don't we get to our mailbag? We're going to do our Ask the Mainland mailbag. No, you know what? Let's do the men's national team first. Then we'll do our mailbag. Sorry. Didn't mean to didn't mean to cross everybody up. Everybody, I just threw your whole agenda off for the rest of the day, but we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team next. Double head fake. Yeah. So, um, you know, very – very young team, a lot of new faces out there to play Bolivia. And again, this is not like this wasn't Bolivia A squad or maybe even B squad. This was a a lot of young uh, Bolivians and a few veterans mixed in. Uh, but it was definitely not Bolivia's best side or even probably the second best side that they could uh, trot out there. But uh, the U.S., Dave, uh, in Philadelphia on Memorial Day was uh, – pretty much in control throughout. I'm not sure that, uh, that Alex Bono had to make a save in his, uh, MLS or in his U S men's national team debut. Um, three guys scored their first goal ever for the U S including Josh Sargent, uh, Walker Zimmerman and, uh, Tim Weah. So, Tim Weah, yeah. uh, very, very nice, uh, overall game. Uh, I thought the, 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 the team did a lot of good things. You can see some really great, um, things ahead for Wea and Sargent and Weston McKinney and Anthony mm-hmm. Robinson and guys like that. I, I think there were, um, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of players that really played well in that game. Who stood out to you? Uh, Sargent and Wea obviously, um, you know, both had goals. Um, I, I think that, uh, the, the other one was Robinson. Um, he was making some, uh, excellent crosses, and uh, um, it was. I, and I know I said in our internal chat that that was probably the most fun I've had watching the U.S. men's national team, and I don't know how long, um, probably since World Cup. And it was just, it was a joy to watch. You know, these young guys go out, obviously try hard, but not only that, but like you said, it, it was a pretty dominating performance. No, not Bolivia's top team. But still, 
um, you know, you can see glimpses of the future and the quality that's going to be there. And if if they continue to develop like we hope they will, and if you've got this wave of young guys, um, it's it's so promising. Yeah, it's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of reason for uh, U.S. fans to be excited after seeing that uh, performance because there's there's so much potential there. Uh, Pulisic didn't even play that well. Um, you know, Christian has played a lot of soccer this year yeah. and is ready for a break. And he he actually was man marked throughout the game. Uh, interesting uh, tactic by the Bolivian coach um, to to man mark him throughout uh, the match. And uh, it, it did work to some extent. He was he was also a little bit handcuffed because he's a better wide player than he is up the middle. And he was he was playing a lot of, uh, you know, interior um midfield along the way but uh, I thought also Rubio Rubin did a lot of really nice things in the game uh, on that left side and just a fun game the U.S. ends up winning 3-0 not a not a not a problem I I think there's a lot of excitement for some of these young guys Sargent looks like he's he's uh, you know I I watched him the U-17 World Cup the U-20 World Cup and yeah uh, he's he's a guy that we've had our eye on for quite some time and he looks like he's going to be fantastic Uh, he's really uh, sort of developing a lot of tools in the toolbox that maybe weren't there even a year ago. Um, just a great hustle play to, you know, obviously a goalkeeper gaff, but uh, you're not getting enough on the ball, but he really hustled to track that down, made a great touch to pull it out of the air, turned around and still yep. had to beat the keeper. So he had a lot to do. And uh, even though it was a really a, a howler on the goalkeeper to set up that goal, uh, you know, Sergeant still had a lot to do on that. To, to get it done and he got it done. So kudos to yeah, him. That, that touch as it came over his head was, was picture perfect. And uh, it, like you said, it, it was a gaffe, but he took advantage of it. He did. And it was, it was, it was really nice to see the U S go out and, and play like that and to play hard and, you know, to close down space and not even allow Bolivia any breathing room. They, I don't know how many passes they had that went straight out of bounds because they just didn't have time to, to pick out their next pass. But uh um, it seemed like it was happening all night, and uh, it was nice to see. Um, I'm tempering my expectations here. I know a lot of people said, oh, I wish those were, that was the team we'd have sent to Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago would have destroyed that team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to <laughs> rain. I don't mean to rain on your parade, but they would have gotten at that team. They would have held the ball more, and uh, yes. they probably would have uh, torn up the defense a little bit. So um, I don't want If to the guys that did ball. play Trinidad and Tobago had played with the – intensity that those guys played it might have been a different result exactly so uh but it was nice to see in the u.s now will go to europe uh much more difficult competition but they've uh they've sent some folks home and called in some new people uh they've sent uh, pilisic home and he's not going to be on this trip but they're going to uh, play in ireland and france so that's two pretty good teams uh, that they'll have to take on and and uh you know of course um they're still going to have a very young squad um, they sent Bono back to Toronto and picked uh, Zach Steffen back up off Columbus. Uh, that was one of the changes. Uh, Zimmerman, I think, is back on his way to L.A. And, uh, you know, we're going to see some of those guys that were playing overseas uh, get back in, uh, get back in uh, to the lineup. But um, still a lot of youngsters on the club, and it'll be good to see them get more, you know, get blooded by better teams, I think. Yeah, just remember, everybody, we've got – you know, four years for all of these guys to develop. So, well, not quite four years, but you know what I mean. Um, 
enjoy the enjoy the process enjoy these guys getting time um you know you, you know bobby wood's coming back and uh you know he'll be able to lend some experience to the guys that he's going to be playing with christian's going to get a break after that long uh bundesliga and champions league uh, season so it's yeah the world cup's here and uh we'll all watch it but since the u.s isn't in it just enjoy the process going forward for these young guys and building that next generation. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, that would normally bring us to the mailbag, but I do want to talk, touch on this Dave, before we get to the mailbag, uh, right. we got a new team coming in next year to MLS. What? FC Cincinnati joining MLS right. and starting play in 2019. What do you think of the selection of Cincinnati and what do you think of um, the teams that were passed over or the cities that were passed over? Um, you know, good for Cincinnati. I mean, if, if they're getting selected, hopefully they're, they're, you know, they've put in the, the work and the due diligence and all that. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be against anybody who's, you know, able to do that. I do think it's kind of uh, curious that it's a uh, Ohio uh, based team and uh, what that, you know, bodes for the future, you know, is yet to be seen, but um, uh, uh, remind me who, who was the passed over? Well, Sacramento for one. Okay. Well, um, I'd rather have Cincinnati than Sacramento. Let's face it. There's California's got a couple teams already. Yeah, and Phoenix, I think, was in that group as well. But, I mean, it's not that Sacramento did anything necessarily wrong. I think think the Sacramento and Cincinnati both showed that they were capable and um, deserving. So I think that that was good that that they both got a look. But I think in the end, some of Sacramento's um, financing fell by the wayside. I think Cincinnati did enough to to, uh, assure the the league that they'd be – you know, they'd have a venue to play in, uh, a brand new soccer stadium. Uh, they're going to stay in Nippert Stadium until 2021, and then they're, they're going to move into a new 21,000-seat soccer stadium. So um, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's it, it will mean nothing to the fans in Columbus if Columbus ends up moving to Austin as expected at the end of this season because the Columbus fans are not going to jump on Cincinnati. They're not going to be Cincinnati fans. Um, no. It, it just isn't going to happen. I mean, there may be a few, but the diehard Columbus crew fans are not going to become Cincinnati fans overnight like that because there's, there is some rivalry in those Midwestern cities. And, um, it would be even worse if the crew were like a Cleveland team. And then people were like, well, well you could just root for Cincinnati. No, that wouldn't work at all. Yeah, no, <laughs> that would not work at all. Um, I could tell you that, but, um, yeah, Cincinnati showed they were deserving. They really uh, did a great job building that fan base up uh, from the grassroots uh, level up, and it's it's good to see. It's also surprising to me that they're coming in so soon, but uh, it's going to be good to get uh, more new teams in here. Of course, we don't know when Miami's going to get their act together. And, and... I was going to say they jumped Miami. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. So, uh, But welcome to Cincinnati, and um, it's, it's going to be a new uh, another new expansion club uh, coming in next year so that's uh, that's exciting oh yeah absolutely and i was just laughing because it, it is funny that they jump miami because um, <laughs> well every time something happens with miami it's usually pretty funny 
Yeah, it's everybody's jumping Miami. Let's face it. It's not happening <laughs> anytime soon. It doesn't matter if they've been officially welcomed in. Uh, I mean, Beckham's had that deal since he joined MLS, and, and here we are how many years later? I don't know, but if the rumored name of Miami Freedom is uh, turns out to be oh, true, oh, then I hope that they take forever to come in. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not good. All right, so let's get to our mailbag, Dave, so we can uh, get these fine listeners on their way. <laughs> okay. Ask the Mainland Podcast, of course, is our mailbag. You can do that one of two ways. You can email us at uh, themainland at gmail.com, or you could also uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at uh, our Twitter handles at themainland, and just be sure to use the AskTMLPC uh, hashtag. So hashtag AskTMLPC. Uh, some people continue to just hit res- respond and don't use the hashtag. So it's kind of <laughs> harder to find sometimes in the glut of uh, responses and notifications and that kind of thing. So come on, everybody. It's Twitter. You, you've got to know hashtag by now. I'm going to start with Lee who wants to be uh, he wants to be a friend of the podcast. <laughs> he's working toward okay. working toward friend of the podcast status uh, and he's getting there. Lee wants to know. Uh, Other than at the mainland, of course, what or who do you think are the best soccer personalities or accounts to follow on Twitter? Wow. Okay. Um, You know what? Uh, I'm going to the the men and blazers guys. Those guys are are phenomenal. Um, They're fun to listen to. Uh, They're fun to read about. Uh, Alexi Lawless is a good follow. He um, is is sometimes controversial, but sometimes that makes for interesting reading. Uh, Kyle Martinez, who we had on the podcast recently, he's a good one also. Um, let me see if I, anybody else off the top of my head, uh, off the top of my head, those are the couple that just kind of pop out there. So, uh, I think the lawless one is the most interesting just because like I said, he, uh, he, he sometimes is, uh, antagonistic. Mm-hmm. I like to follow. And evidently Alexi. has a new album. Yeah. I, I like to, fo- <laughs> I like to follow Alexi because he gives, he really does give zero dams. He's going to be honest and he's going to be himself and, and, oh, yeah. and, you know, maybe sometimes he plays some things up for shtick, but, uh, he's, he's an interesting follow. I follow Taylor Twelman. He's got good information. He also sometimes goes off on rants. Um, Kyle Martino, you mentioned is good. I like, I really like to follow Paul Tenorio cause he's very knowledgeable and he often breaks news. So I, I like to read Paul. He's a very well placed, um, you know, journalist. So if you're not uh, following Paul Tenorio, you should be. Um, and then just, you know, like a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, of course, all the Orlando city and Orlando pride players follow them. And of course the clubs and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, those are the ones that, that I probably follow the most and that I find the most I think interesting. We've, we've mentioned Christine Aaron in the past as a good follow. Yeah. Her and Haley Kopmeyer are very good followers. Yeah. Uh, you know, cop just had a tweet yesterday looking for um, <laughs> looking for dates for Tony Presley on The Bachelor. <laughs> you had to you had to answer yeah. certain questions yeah. right though, which yeah. was fantastic. Trying to line up uh, some Bachelor candidates uh, for for Tony, so that was good. Uh, Lee also wants to know, Dave. Um, your bias aside, what are your thoughts uh, for Manchester United and Liverpool, respectively? What are your thoughts on the Unai Emery hire at Arsenal? Is he the right guy to lead my Gunners back to Champions League and maybe even challenge for EPL titles in the years to come? Okay, that was a lot. What was that again? Unai Emery. What are your thoughts okay. on his hiring? Is he the right guy to lead them back to Champions League and maybe compete for titles? Uh, that's... 
you know, anytime you come in after a legend, even if it's somebody who's been down for a little while, I mean, coming in after Wenger is going to be tough no matter what. Um, and, you know, hopes are going to be high for the, the Gunners, but um, it's going to take some time. It's just going to take some time. It's going to take some money. Can it eventually happen? Sure. Is he the right guy? I don't know. I'm always weary of the uh, or leery of the the person that comes in right after somebody who's been there for, you know, 20, 30 years. So uh, I I think it's a, I think it's a fine hire whether he's the one to do it or not. Uh, that I don't I, I won't claim to have enough knowledge to know. Yeah, I, I will admit that I don't know enough about him to think you know to really make a, an informed decision. But the the key for me is that if he doesn't turn things around quickly will he be around long enough to turn things around at all because it, right. it usually happens that uh, fans of teams that are you know historically good don't have a lot of patience so um you know we've we've seen even guys that have pretty decent years but not great years wear out their welcome pretty quickly at places like chelsea and, and that kind of thing so um sure manchester city and and that so you know i don't know i i could be i'm gonna go with could be that's my answer all right so i'm gonna give it up to him here because he obviously is listening to the podcast enough to know that you're a a united fan and i'm a liverpool fan so Uh, good on him for that probably only mention it every week (laughs) let's not mention it this week i can't i can't take it we already did we already mentioned it too late no i i can't talk about it okay well you're gonna have to talk about it because david victor on (sighs) twitter wants to know what are your thoughts on the Champions League final, the Ramos tackle on Saleh, and I'm going to start this one off by saying I didn't watch the game. I was I was getting ready and, and then driving and then uh, to the stadium and then covering the Pride game on television and then Orlando City in person. So I had a very busy day, and I didn't get to see the game. So I know you have some thoughts, Dave. Uh, uh, and I actually – they are in my article that went out today um, – yeah, the Ramos was a uh, Ramos was not a good example of what the beautiful game should be. Um, you know, whether or not you agree there was a foul or if he should have been sent off or you know whether he actually intended to do anything or anything like that. That doesn't matter. He was he was not a good representative for the game. With Mo Salah going out that early in the game, it changed the entire complexion of the thing obviously Salah is one of the very very important parts um I feel bad for uh Karius who um if you want to read interesting you know stuff go and read the articles about you know Karius after that match and how bad he felt and and um it's it's one of those things where you know they they were the underdog and, uh, you know, they're going up against the, the big, you know, now three time in a row champs. And um, it's uh, it's personally hurtful for me. And uh, I've I've I'm glad that we asked this today and not like, you know, a couple of days ago, because I would have gone off on an entirely different rant. Uh, plus, you know, I had the chance to write about it a little bit in the article. So it uh, it helped get some of it out. But, yeah, it. You know, I think it would have been a different game if Mo had stayed in, and um, yeah, I, I don't. You know, I probably haven't even answered the question. Right. Well, you know what? I can tell you this without even having seen the game. Uh, screw Sergio Ramos. 
Uh, as an there you as go. An athletic, Thank as you. an Atletico Madrid fan in La Liga, I don't like him. I, I've got a I've got a gif uh, of him uh, running into the box for a set piece and elbowing an Atletico player in the head on on purpose. Uh, well, he did it to uh, Carius in this match so, as well. Yeah. So there you go. So, I mean, he's not a clean player. Put it that way. I don't I don't like him. No. Uh, he's probably one of those guys you like if he's on your team, but otherwise you hate his guts. Uh, thanks for the question, David Victor. Um, we got a question from Ken M. He wants to know, is Orlando City looking at making any moves during the summer transfer window? What do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, I think they're going to have to. I think you mentioned it earlier where, um, you know, they're going to have to get somebody else up there that can be a striker if Dom's uh, unavailable or even if he just needs to be subbed out. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have said this, uh, you know, six weeks ago, but, you know, maybe more depth along the, uh, the back line again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, will they be making some moves? Yes, of course they will. Um, what their, their budget to, to do so is, uh, you might know better than I on that, but, um, uh, they, they will be looking to do something. Yes. Uh, I think they'll be looking at moves, whether or not they pull the trigger, it's going to have to be the right move. I think they could certainly use some striker depth. Um, I don't know if they haven't, what, pieces they have in place that they can move at this point. I think that I think that teams will be inquiring about Christian Aguita after the way he's played this uh, first part of the season. So um, they might not want to give him up at this that's point. That's true, but I think if his uh, if his value has gone up to where um, they can't like turn down the offer, then that might be something that you know opens up money for something else, whether that's additional sure. center back help or what you know hopefully by then everybody's back and healthy and we won't have to worry about it. Um, right. Certainly uh, somebody that can, that can give, uh, give the team a little of what Dom gives them when he's not in, I think would be a really great uh, addition to the team. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm interested in this, uh, this summer window because the team was so active in the off season that uh, there's not a lot to do, but there's always something that happens, and there's usually something unexpected in there as well. So the team hasn't been able to use Jose Villarreal, so he might be a bargaining chip that they can use somewhere. Um, it, it, it remains to be seen. But uh, I do look forward to seeing what this this next silly season has to offer. So thanks, Ken, for your question. Uh, got an easy-to-answer question from Digby Smith. Okay. Digby wants to know, will Ali Krieger ever get to 100 caps for the U.S.? And the answer is no. No, because of the same reason that um, Alex Morgan and Harris got called up uh, early for no good reason, Jill Ellis. <laughs> uh, that's part of it. I think part of it also is I just think that in the modern game, she's lost uh, the speed necessary to play at a high level in the international game at fullback, and I don't think she's a good enough center back to play there. Um Right. So unless she could maybe transition into like a defensive midfield role, but there's there's plenty of younger players to do that. I mean, she's she's in her 30s, man. She's she, yeah, it, it's just not going to happen. If it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen. I think she's at peace with that. She's had a really great international career and I think she's OK with it. So I think we all should be. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for the question, Digby. And Mac, finally, uh. Who do you guys have in the World Cup? I feel like there are so many teams that could win this year, and even though the U.S. won't be there, I'm still really excited. Dave, who do you got in the World Cup? Um, so if I go with my head, uh, I'm going to go with the defending champs, Germany. Um, they're going to be a strong team, um, and they're one of the ones I follow. I'm of German heritage and, you know, that whole 23 and me thing. So uh, that's who I'm uh, rooting for is my, my favorite 
on the other hand, I think um, my my uh, good feeling, I uh, hope they do well team is going to be um, Iceland because why not? They had a they're just they're fun. And then uh, I think Belgium could, you know, also make some waves, uh, you know, with the loaded squad that they have. Um, it's just whether they can pull it all together. But as far as who I think uh, if I'm going to have to call a winner. I'm going to go with defending champs Germany. Yeah, I think for me, you're probably looking at Germany or Portugal. Um, somebody like that. Uh, Spain certainly could be there. And um, those are the teams I really see kind of coming out of it. I don't really like, obviously, as a U.S. fan, my team's not in it. And you go to Heritage. I would normally say, you know, pr- feel pretty strongly about one of my teams of my heritage which is italy but they're not in it either so this is really no nope. this is a really rough world cup for me and then the other side of my family is from england so i will watch them with interest and wait for them to break my heart because that's what the england squad does so uh, there's no love yes on that. they do that to <laughs> they do that to english people yeah. all the time so, yeah so it won't be a matter of root i have no rooting interest really um since England is, is destined to fail uh, to meet expectations, <laughs> and since Italy is not there, the U.S. isn't there, so I'm, my, my rooting interests are, are, are low. I'm going to root for um, Peru. Anybody playing Mexico. I, I'm going to root for Peru. Even though it's so bad for Orlando to, to not have Yoshi, I'm going to root for Peru. And, um, and then I'll probably uh, also be pulling for Iceland, but I don't think they're going to sneak up on anybody anymore. So um, I, I have a, no, I have a but... feeling they're going to make a quick exit, even though I would really like to see them do well. I will also root against anybody playing Mexico. Same. All right, Mac, thank you for the question. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions this week. If we didn't get to yours, uh, did you did you put the hashtag on? I don't know. Because I did a search, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, do, I do my best. I do my best. <laughs> but you can email us, themainland at gmail.com. I'll definitely see those. And uh, you can also uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at the mainland. And uh, use that hashtag AskTMLPC, which stands for The Mainland Podcast, which I don't know why I sung it, but there you go. Anyhow, uh, Dave, before we get out of here, there's still one more bit of business. There is a game coming up on a baseball diamond we have to talk about. Uh, is it the Orioles against the Yankees? It is not. It is a soccer game huh. on a baseball diamond, and it is uh, the... Why would anybody do that? Uh, because they're nuts. Again, I don't know. Because, because Dave, the reason they would do that is because they can. Because they have oil money, and they don't have to build a downtown soccer-specific stadium. Oh, It's only a right. requirement for teams like Orlando. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, yes, if you want to, to get in, you've, you've got to do these things. Oh, do you have that much money? Okay, you don't have to do these things. So Atlanta, you do whatever you want. New York, do what you want. You're, we're good with that. Cincinnati, Orlando, you better have a yeah. stadium. Minnesota, we're looking at you. Um, so yeah, Dave, uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, Orlando City at New York City FC, the scene of a game earlier this season, which was won by the blue-shirted pigeons of New York City FC, two uh, nil mm-hmm. on a pair of horrific giveaways that really just handed two goals to uh, 
to the hosts, and uh, this will be game two in Yankee Stadium. The third meeting will be in Orlando City Stadium. Uh, how do you see this one? How, what's your key matchup, and uh, what do you think your score prediction will be? Okay, so good news, everybody. Um, they're going to do better this time than they did last time. Uh, key matchup is obviously going to be the defense, uh, the back line, whoever that entails. Is that with a, uh, a broken arm, Chris Schuler is Tony Rocha back in center back. Uh, has Spectre made his way back? Who knows? Uh, it's a crapshoot. Really don't know. So it's it's that back line um, against uh, David Villa. And uh, unfortunately, he's very, very good. So um, that's the key matchup as far as my prediction. Like I said, they're going to do better this time. Orlando City continues their run of 2-1 losses. As much as I hate to predict it, but my hope is that we're always wrong. So if I protect, uh, uh, predict 2-1, it won't happen. All right. Well, I'm a little bit ticked off that you took my 2-1 score line because uh, that's what I was going to predict. Because how can I predict anything else until they show me they can do something other than 2-1? <laughs> But, yeah, I, I will stick with that scoreline. Uh, David Villa scares the crap out of me. And also they have guys like Morales uh, and Ring that can uh, that can sneak in and do some things as well. Um, and it's just really difficult to play on that stupid baseball diamond, even though early on Orlando City had a, a little bit of success there. It just has kind of turned around in, uh, you know, in the most recent game. But um, not always the friendliest confines for Orlando City. Uh, of late, and I would say that with some of the guys, and especially if Dom isn't back, especially if uh, Sané can't go, although I expect him to be back, um, I think it's going to be really, really tough. And, uh, you know, I just don't see this being the light at the end of the tunnel quite yet. So, uh, but if you want to, if you want to get into my key matchup, obviously it's via against whatever backline we throw in there. Um, you know, I, I think that, Orlando City went to New York with a very good game plan last time. Uh, they didn't execute it as well as they would have liked. I'm sure they would have liked to have had more chances on the counter um, and and that kind of thing. But uh, it was early in the season. The team wasn't quite where it is now. Um, you know, they didn't have Villa either, so that kind of uh, makes up for it. Although Villa's replacement scored, so. Um, right. Uh, I would say, I think maybe that was Kleshton's first game for Orlando City after uh, having to sit out a couple of games, so he wasn't quite ready yet. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think the team is better now, but I, I think it's just a tough ask to go in there and, and win. But I think if they use the same game plan, um, I think they can be effective, especially the way the defensive midfield has come together. Um, they also, I think, were playing a 4-4-2 still when they went there. So I think that they can sit back a little better, absorb pressure a little better. They just can't turn the ball over like they did last time because really that was the only thing they did wrong other than really not getting scoring chances was that they, you know, they never were able to really get out on the counter because they didn't pass well, but that kind of happens on that damn pitch because you'd never have as much space as you think you have. And, nope. um, and the giveaways, the giveaways, you know, kept it from being a nil nil draw, which I think everybody would have taken. Cheap giveaways, indeed. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those shake your head at it. Just can't you, you can't even process it while you're watching it. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was bad. So, like you, I say two one, and I think definitely via against the whatever backline Orlando City is able to put together is the key matchup because I think that um, 
you know, Orlando City's got, uh, they've got firepower. I think they're comfortable now countering, whereas they haven't been comfortable doing that in the past, especially if Dom's playing. I think they're comfortable in, ca- in counterattacking. So I think they go up there with a very defensive mindset, uh, try to sit in and um, sort of grind out a result. I think that's what they're going to try to do, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think it's 2-1. Well, it's either good news, everyone, or bad news, everyone, because what we know for sure is it won't be 2-1. Yeah, that's true. So that will just about do it, Dave. Uh, We have gotten through yet another podcast, so we'll put a bow on this uh, episode number 127 and call it complete. And uh, we will be back next week to talk about Orlando City at New York City FC. Um, We'll be also talking about some U.S. Open Cup soccer. Yep. Uh, as Miami United awaits uh, next week in the midweek. And also we will talk about the Pride's visit to Seattle. Um, the U.S. women will be playing China. We've got all kinds of stuff coming up to talk about. So it's uh, it's going to be another long one next week. So uh, put on a pot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, just tap a keg and, and get through as much as you can before you pass out. There you go. All right, so uh, please read our stuff at themainland.com. Um, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and all that stuff. I Sorry, I didn't get to look at the iTunes this week, so if we got any new five-star reviews, I'll read them next week. Uh, so you'll have that to look forward to if that has happened. Um, and uh, we'll be back to talk it all out next week right here. So on behalf of David Rowe, I am Michael Citro, founder and managing editor of themainland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying... Go City and Go Pride.